This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. With the Major League Baseball non-waiver trade deadline looming, we welcome you inside episode number 69 of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. Nice, Sam. What's going on? Not, not too much. It's uh, it's a nice day here in New York City. How is it over in Denver? It's really nice in Denver. Uh, it's a really good. nice day today in Denver. Fantastic. It's, uh, you know, midsummer's day. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, pretty nice. Uh, hey, deadline coming up this week. It's going to be by this time next week, things will probably be markedly different in a lot of the systems that we will talk about today than they sit right now. We're recording this on Wednesday, July 27th, and uh, August 1st is kind of the craziest day of the baseball calendar, arguably at least, and uh, we'll have a lot to talk about next week, undoubtedly. We do have some news today, relatively minor trade, but a trade that we'll touch on in a little bit, and uh, we'll get things started here in just a moment with three strikes for episode number 69 of the show before the show. Before we get into it, we do have some very good news for those of you who are fans of this podcast and access it, I don't know, maybe on the site, via a desktop, via a, a mobile device that isn't your primary one. If you are a person who would rather use the Stitcher app than iTunes or an RSS feed or whatever, we are now available on the Stitcher app. So you can go find us there, the Minor League Baseball podcast through Stitcher, uh, which is a really exciting further step in our global takeover for Minor League Baseball podcasts. Um, you know, it's all it's all the aim. It's all yeah, the aim. W- w- once we take over all the podcast apps, we'll have to invent a podcast app of our own. First over. Stitcher, then the world. <laughs> yes, Pinky. But then uh, when you go to Stitcher, now you can also there, like we ask you to do on iTunes, you can give us a rating and a review and subscribe and all that kind of fun stuff. And uh, we'd be happy to walk you through how to find us on Stitcher if you need to. You can head to MILB.com slash podcast. We got the links there to wherever you can find us all across that crazy world of the Internet. So let's get started on this nice episode of the show before the show and kick things off with strike one. It was uh, a very big week for prospect promotions last week, just since Sunday. In Major League Baseball, these prospects have been promoted to their big league clubs. Joey Gallo, the seventh-ranked prospect in all baseball, up to the Texas Rangers. Alex Bregman, the 18th-ranked prospect in all baseball, up to the Houston Astros. Raul Adalberto Mondesi, the 32nd-ranked prospect in baseball, up to the Kansas City Royals. David Dahl, the 40th-ranked prospect, up to the Colorado Rockies. And Braden Shipley, number 58, goes up to the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's already made his first Major League start up there. Um, Sam, what are you most excited for out of this group? This felt like it was every week last summer that we had a week like this where it was just insane prospect after insane prospect but this has all been over the last three four days now that all these guys have gone up this has been a fun week yeah just for in terms of podcast content i kind of wish that they had spread this out yeah exactly we could have taken this over two or three weeks right yeah each one of these guys would have gotten their own strike in another week um but just the way it works you know that so many went up at the same time um i i think i'm most pumped for alex bregman uh it's it's just nice to see uh, you know, performance rewarded in the way he, he's kind of 
done this year at both Double A Corpus Christi, Triple A Fresno. You know, we've we've talked about it at length, but just to go over it again for anybody who hasn't heard past episodes, you know, 306 average, 406 OBP this year, 20 home runs. Uh, his OPS was 986. There was a time there for a dip there at the end where he was the only full season minor leaguer with an OPS above 1,000. Um, you know, still the leader in the clubhouse to be our Milby winner for offensive player of the year. We'll see how this final month shakes out. Maybe somebody will pass him, but, uh, you know, a Hunter Renfro type or something like that. But Bregman was the standout player this year in the minors. Now he's in the major leagues. That's what, that's what this is all about when it all comes down to it. Uh, you know, we'll still see how the Astros are going to use him. I mean, that was the thing that was holding him back, right? Is that he's a shortstop. Carlos Correa is the Astro shortstop um, for both the near and potentially long-term future. Maybe the, they'll try to move Bregman there, move Correa over to third at some point, but they're not going to do that to Correa, you know, the, the shining star of that team um, at this juncture. So Bregman, first two games, first one he started at third base. Last night, Tuesday, he started at designated hitter. Uh, he got a little time, a little taste of left field when he was with the Fresno Grizzlies right before his call-up. So they're going to do whatever they can to get his bat in the lineup. Uh, we'll see how that kind of all shakes out. But just to see him there is exciting. And um, the big question mark for me is Joey Gallo with the Rangers. I mean, yeah. we've been talking about for a while. This guy should be up in the majors with somebody. He's cut down his strikeout rate. He's hit 19 homers in 70 games this year. The power is still there. It's still very real. I mean, we got to see a little bit of it. Uh, you know, after he's come up, he had a home run. I think it went close to 450 feet. I mean, that's just things that we saw, I think, once a week in the minors. Him hit dingers that long uh, here. Now he's doing it in the majors again. What does this mean for Joey Gallo? Is this, you know, the Rangers really want his bat in the lineup and they're going to do whatever they can to get him there? Or is this a showcase? Is this a chance yeah. to show him you know, hey, he can actually hit major league pitching. So, you know, the Rangers are looking at uh, catchers with Jonathan Lucroy. They're lo looking at, you know, pitching help. Is this Joey Gallo hits a long home run is going to be somebody like the Rays. The Brewers are like, OK, we'll take him in a trade. I'll be interested to see how that shakes out. I, I would love for him to stay with the Rangers and a good team stay strong and like allow their best hitters to hit. Um, but we'll see how that shakes out. One more thing I want to talk about. Uh, about quickly before I send it back over to you was the Raul Mondesi, um, the promotion. Uh, he, he caught a lot of flack earlier this year. He got a 50 game suspension, uh, for a banned substance that he proved it was supposed to be an 80 game suspension. He got it knocked down to 50 because he proved that it was in cold medicine. Now he gets moved up to the Royals, the Royals, you know, defending world series champs. Everybody thought we would have, they would have a chance to compete this year. It's not quite worked out that way. Uh, you know, so they they sent down Whit Merrifield, and that, it looks like they're going to use Mondesi as their second baseman. They may platoon him a little bit, but uh, you know, the, the guy's just still so young. He's the youngest player in the American League right now, 21 years of age. Uh, played his first game at, at second base yesterday. Lightning quick. You know, has been especially efficient on the base pass this year. 24 steals and 25 attempts. Um, so is this another case of do they think Mondesi is actually, you know, going to inject some energy into the Royals, give them a kickstart, or is this just giving a chance for a kid to get some major league time ahead of, you know, a more full-time position next year? Uh, we'll have to see how that shakes out. But, yeah, the World Series, 
for Raul Mondesi, this is his regular season debut. We know he made his major league debut in the World Series last year. Now we'll get a little bit more of an extended time, and we'll see how that all shakes out. One I'm interested to get your take on is David Dahl. Uh, last week's guest, so two weeks in a row. That two we've weeks had in a, a row. Yeah, the the podcast bump. Uh, what do you think the Ro- the Rockies rather uh, can get out of him, and what was behind that move, giving him you know limited time at AAA and just moving him straight up to the majors? First of all, that means that uh, Fort Wayne manager Anthony Contreras is probably ticketed to be the Padres manager next <laughs> week if we follow the formula from the last couple of weeks. He'll join the show here coming up in just a little bit to talk about a really, really talented uh, Fort Wayne Tin Caps roster in the Class A Midwest League and in the Padres system. Um, but, yeah, David Dahl is uh, – the, this group, this group of five that went up uh, this past week, and again, to go over all five of them, Joey Gallo, Alex Bregman, Raul Mondesi, David Dahl, and Braden Shipley, they can kind of be classified, I think, in about three different groups, two if you really wanted to, to pare it down even more than that. Um, there is the... This is certainly a, a, a test for the future, and this is a, a player who is very much going to be in the mix, and... This is a guy who is maybe at a crossroads. And then there's kind of a question mark group, and I think that falls on Braden Shipley, and not because of Braden Shipley, but because of the organization in which he plays right now. But we'll talk about David Dahl. I mean, Dahl, like Modesty, like Bregman, he's going to be a big piece of the organization going forward. Uh, from the Rockies' perspective, this is a guy who was just crushing the ball, was OPSing, I think, over 1450 through his first couple of weeks in AAA. He is right now the center fielder of the future and what he does for the Rockies is he gives them an option to maybe deal Charlie Blackman. That's been the speculation uh, surrounding that team because Dahl is probably the best position player prospect that the Rockies have called to the major leagues since Troy Tulowitzki. I mean, Nolan Arenado obviously has turned himself into an all world everything, but that's how good David Dahl is. The Rockies have been very high on him for a long time. He's overcome a lot to get here. Uh, You know, there was the, the hamstring tear in 2013, I believe, uh, or 2014, actually, uh, the the weird spleen injury last year that he suffered in an on-field collision while he was with uh, the AA, back then, New Britain Rockcats, um, where he was lacerated a spleen, a collision, had to have it removed surgically, was back on the field a couple of months later. Um, but Dahl is... He is a centerpiece for them going forward. I don't think a lot of people expected it this quickly for him that he would be up at the major league level. I assumed the Rockies were going to follow with him a similar track to what they followed last year with Trevor Story. Trevor Story had gone up to AAA pretty quickly before uh, the Troy Tulowitzki trade went down. Started off very strong there, but the Rockies let him finish the season there, and I assumed they were going to go that same route with David Dahl. They haven't. He's up at the major league level now. He's got a couple of hits through his first uh, handful of major league games, and uh, it's somebody that the Rockies have known for a while was going to be one of their big guys going forward. Um, Similarly to that, I I wonder how the Arizona Diamondbacks right now are viewing Braden Shipley because I remember talking to Braden back in spring training um, and this offseason was nuts for the Diamondbacks. Obviously, there was the, you know, the Tukey Toussaint trade last year and then this coming into 2016, the big deal that sent Aaron Blair away as far as the the pitching talent goes along with Dansby Swanson, but Aaron Blair closer to the major leagues as of uh, the start of the 2016 season than Braden Shipley uh, was because he had seen some time at AAA, but guys who had, you know, really climbed the ladder and pretty close lockstep over the course of their careers um Shipley though 
seemed like a guy who the Diamondbacks have always been a little bit higher on than maybe anybody in the system other than Archie Bradley. And he told me back in March, quote, it does show a little faith that they kept me around. I was sitting there during the offseason like, man, I could be traded today, tomorrow, next week. I didn't know. I was excited that they kept me. So to me, is this right now a a showcase in that the D-backs are going to blow everything up and just try to start from scratch? Because what they've done to this stage, you know, Zach Granke's been good, but Shelby Miller has not, uh, was actually optioned down to AAA as of a couple of weeks ago. So is Shipley, are they testing him out to see if he can be a guy who steps into that role behind Zach Granke, behind Archie Bradley, um, being a part of that rotation, or does this factor into some bigger plans toward the offseason? That, I'm really interested in that. Shipley has been very, very good at stretches this year for AAA Reno. You know, he put up a sub-4 ERA, which in Reno is a very difficult thing to do. I'll be really interested to watch him, though, um, over the course of this stint in the major leagues, however long it lasts. Went 8-5 and five with a 3.70 ERA and 19 starts for AAA Reno. Um, you know, a really bright kid, a really effusive kid, an interesting guy to talk to. Uh, but that organization is in so much flux constantly, it seems like. You wonder what exactly that rotation looks like going into 2017, and how does he factor into that role? And, and that's why this is kind of a – it's not a tryout per se, but it's right. a chance for him to prove himself. Um, you know, maybe they would have – another organization would have been willing to wait until spring. And, okay, Braden, you know, you're the – we've got seven – or we got five spots for seven guys. You haven't pitched in the majors yet, but go prove yourself. And then he's automatically looking out. Now he's got a chance to to show that he can do well against you know major league bats. Uh, didn't go particularly well in that first start. Gave up three homers in five and a third innings. But you know that that's the major league debut. Now he gets another chance to build on that, learn something, grow from it. I think I would hope that Arizona would. Uh, you know, smile more on a guy who, yeah, he struggled in the beginning, but has grown on it and learned something than, you know, somebody who was just throwing out a four or five, four eighty ERA every time he was out there. Um, so yeah, like, like you said, we'll, we'll see how they handle him. I, I think it would be mishandling him to send him right back down automatically, but, uh, I wouldn't rule anything out with that organization. Strike two this week, Sam. A massive deal went down last week. Uh, the trade deadline coming up on uh, on the 1st of August. We might not see a deal as big or bigger than this one. Uh, the Chicago Cubs acquired flame-throwing left-hander Aroldis Chapman from the New York Yankees in exchange for a bevy of prospects, including the top prospect in the Cubs organization, Glaber Torres, uh, along with outfielder Billy McKinney, uh, Adam Warren, the right-hander, and Rashad Crawford also in that deal. This trade comes along with a lot of stuff, obviously, that surrounds it um, from a non-baseball perspective, too. But on the prospect side, this is a huge deal because it shows really for a a two-, three-month rental, the Cubs are really going for it. And they gave up a guy, especially in Torres, uh, McKinney to an extent as well, but they gave up some very, very highly touted prospects. A lot of people are extraordinarily high on Glaber Torres. Your thoughts on this trade uh, as it came together earlier on in the week? Yeah, so we'll, we'll focus on just the overall prospect side of it first, and then we'll we can delve deeper into it in a you know a little towards the end of the segment. But um, yeah, I mean, we it feels like just, I mean we were doing this just a few months ago. We were talking about uh, uh, trades involving Eraldis Chapman and. Uh, the Yankees getting him for you know a couple prospects from the from the um, 
from the Yankee system, Rookie Davis, Eric Jagailo, Tony Renda, uh, Caleb Cotham. Nobody in that package comes close to exciting me as much as Glaber Torres. Um, nobody in that package comes as close to exciting me as, you know, Billy McKinney, to be honest, and he's having a down year. Um, so it, it's interesting just to look at it through the prism of this is what happens around the deadline. Uh, deals just get explode. You know, they just explode because you have a team, especially like the Cubs, you mentioned, you know, this, they are deciding to go for it. You know, this is a team that hasn't won a World Series in a decade. They want to they realize the chance they have and they are go- willing to overpay. I mean, this this feels like an overpay. This does not feel like a market price. This feels like Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer just saying, you know what, we really need a left-handed, you know, we really need a really good reliever, left-handed or otherwise. Uh, Rawls Chapman's on the market. He's going to be a rental, but we have a pretty good system. Let's pay whatever the Yankees are asking. And that includes Torres, who now becomes the Yankees' top prospect. Uh, The interesting thing with him is that he is a shortstop. Uh, very young one at that. He's 19 years old. Play. He started out this season at high A. Myrtle Beach was hitting 275 there with nine homers and 19 steals. He's got a nice, you know, mix of average power, a little bit, bit of above average run tool. has a has a good arm. Uh, some people are split on whether he's going to stick at shortstop, but it becomes interesting for him to move into the Yankee system because we know they have a pretty good Class A advanced shortstop already themselves in Jorge Mateo who has top-of-the-line speed, uh, can hit a little bit, not that much power, uh, not as great defensively as Torres. So the plan seems to be for now that Torres is going to be the shortstop at Class A Advanced Tampa. Mateo is going to get more reps at second base. There might be a chance that they flip the two just to see how Torres can handle second base. I know doing some reading, a little research, there are certainly people who think he is a future second baseman over a shortstop. If he is a second baseman, that dims his value just a little bit. Might be why the Cubs were willing to give him up in a trade such as this one. Uh, but he does become, you know, the crown jewel in what is a pretty good, or what was already a pretty good Yankee system with Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez and Jorge Mateo, as we already mentioned. Um, so yeah, this is this is a farm system changing deal and that you know the Yankees certainly get better in that aspect uh, we never thought they would be a rebuilding team I don't think this makes them a rebuild I think you know Chapman was going to become a free agent anyways so they might as well add something for him um, but yeah we have to circle back just a little bit uh, there is that caveat of you know are all Chapman was suspended uh, for a significant amount of time this year for domestic abuse um, you know, what does it say about the game, the way we treat players, the way we treat human beings that, you know, a, a domestic abuser or a alleged domestic abuser can be celebrated um, by going to another team? And, you know, what are the Cubs are going to do to handle that? You know, how Chapman himself is going to handle that in a new market? What's going to happen to him in the free agent market? We'll see what happens with that. Um, but it, by paying this premium price, it seems like the Cubs were willing to pay for just the on-the-field stuff and put the off-the-field stuff to the side, which is a little unfortunate, but uh, sometimes that's the way the game goes right now. Maybe that'll change in years to come, but we'll have to see. 
Strike three this week, a very cool tool shed column from Sam on the site right now, which is taking a look back at this time last year, the 2015 Major League Baseball non-waiver trade deadline and three big deals that defined that deadline uh, in their retrospective aspects right now, which was the Cole Hamels trade, the Oana Cespedes trade, and the Troy Tulowitzki trade. Sam, walk us through how these look a year later and uh, you know some of the other notes from last year's deal now looking back on it. Yeah, so I, I'll start out with the Suspetus trade. It might not have been um, the most flashy or the flashiest when it happened. I mean, I think the Tulowitzki trade had, was a little splashier for what it did in that Cole Hamels trade, at least from a prospect standpoint, should get anyone really excited given what uh, the Phillies were able to get back in that deal for the left-hander. Uh, same goes for Carlos Gomez going um, to the Astros and the way that uh, Milwaukee was able to get Brett Phillips and Josh Hader, who are continue to be two top 100 prospects. But I, I want to focus on this Espedes trade because it feels like it worked out for everybody. And, and I love trades like that. It's you know, Both sides got something that they really needed, or not really needed, but um, there were positive steps both ways. We know Espedes, you know, w- was maybe the best hitter in baseball in the second half of the season last year, uh, or you know, might have been the second half MVP in the NL. Certainly he pushed the Mets to a playoff appearance, then pushed them to the World Series uh, along with Daniel Murphy and that really talented rotation. Uh, and then the story of the offseason was, you know, the Mets have a really good rotation. Can they bring back Ioannis Suspedes? And they do. So they paid a price for rental. I mean, they gave up Michael Fulmer, Fulmer and Luis Sesa. Fulmer was the Eastern League Pitcher of the Year last year, uh, just had a breakout year. It, it feels like a good idea to get a top 100 prospect for a rental. But it, it's a little more complicated than that in that the Mets were able to get Suspedes, you know, the rest of the year. And because he enjoyed his time there, he agreed to re-sign with the Mets. So th- that wasn't their calculus necessarily before, but they get a little bit more out of it than your normal trade for a guy for a couple months. Uh, but as we know, Michael Fulmer has just completely taken off there in, the, in his first full season in the Tiger system. Uh, you know, coming into today, I don't have his stats after today, but I think coming into today, he was nine and two with a 2.41 ERA. Um, I think he would be my vote for American League Rookie of the Year. Uh, there are a couple other guys in that conversation, but he, the way he has pitched lately, he's had a sub two ERA in his last dozen starts. I think uh, this is just a trade that worked out really well for both sides, and it's fun to evaluate that a year later because at the time you're just looking at his okay. The Mets traded away a double pitch, double A pitcher. Anything could happen from here on out. He could, you know, not figure out Triple A. He could not figure out the majors, and he has. And it could end up being in a couple of years that you know Suspedes has an opt out after this year. Maybe he takes it, doesn't resign with the Mets, goes elsewhere for more money. And the Tigers have multiple years as with Fulmer as a mainstay in their rotation, and they end up looking like winners. But a year out right now, it's fun to see that. Both sides got something that they need uh, one year later. So that is up on the site right now, the tool shed column for the uh, the final one for the pre-trade deadline half of the 2016 Major League and Minor League season. I guess it's not a half portion, larger than half portion of the 2016 minor league season which is uh coming to a close here in the next few days august 1st keep an eye on august 1st that's a a very anxious time around the world of major league and minor league baseball but a fun one for those of us who don't have to worry about being dealt somewhere <laughs> well we we think maybe sam right. will walk into the office and they'll be like all right you're out of here sending you to sports on earth yeah they're, they're, 
Lord knows there have been plenty of players in the past who are like, I'm not getting traded anywhere. <laughs> and then they find out on Twitter. So if, my, if one of us is trending on Twitter uh, come August 1st. We will know. Yeah, we'll, we'll know, know one way or another. Um, one additional note to today's news, uh, a, a trade deadline approaching deal that has been uh, already announced officially. The Atlanta Braves and the Texas Rangers have come to a deal. The Rangers sending their now former number 20 prospect, Travis Demerit to the Atlanta Braves in exchange for right-handed starting pitcher Lucas Harrell and left-handed reliever Dario Alvarez. Um, Travis Demerit had started off scorching hot at the plate this year for the Class A advanced high desert Mavericks. Now the the numbers have cooled in terms of uh, batting average in on base percentage, the power is still absurd, and the overall numbers are still fantastic. 25 homers, 59 runs batted in, a 272, 352, 583 slash line for Travis DeMerit. Um, this is a guy who's got a very long baseball road behind him already, and he's only 21 years old. He's a first-round pick, 30th overall back in 2013, um, served a PED suspension. Travis Amara went and played over the offseason in Australia this past year for the Adelaide Bite of the Australian Baseball League, uh, really trying to make up for some lost time due to that suspension. And this year comes out and kind of a coming out party for Travis Demerit. So an interesting deal. Um, you know, I don't think that the Braves have gone out and and uh, acquired somebody who's going to be a, a future multiple-time All-Star, but Travis Demerit's a very good prospect. Yeah, no, for sure. And we, we know the Braves are a rebuilding organization. Uh, you know, how they handle Demerit, what happens to Demerit once he gets out of playing his home games at, at High Desert, which I think it, it's certainly in the conversation for most offensive-friendly uh park in the minor leagues if not all of professional baseball uh you know what happens when he gets moved to class a advanced carolina uh will that power come with him we'll have to keep an eye on that another thing to keep our eye on uh this is a guy who has mostly played second base this year and in his minor league career some shortstop mixed in there some third base and we know you know right now the braves are hoping that they have their double play tandem of the future already in uh, Dansby Swanson and Ozzie Albies, who are both at Double A Mississippi, getting time, you know, playing with one another in that way. Uh, so, you know, demerits a, a level below that. We don't have to worry about defensive stuff for a while. But if he does succeed this year, you know, are, are we looking at him moving over to third next year? Do they keep him at second? until the very end, you know, at what point do they have that conversation? Um, or does he even force that conversation upon them? We'll have to keep an eye on that. So coming up on this week's edition of the show before the show podcast, we are headed to the Midwest league. Anthony Contreras, the Fort Wayne tin caps manager will join us to discuss Anderson Espinosa, Jacob Nix, some other exciting prospects from the, uh, the Fort Wayne club, which has been reshaped this year as has a lot of the San Diego Padres system. Anthony Contreras coming up on this week's edition of the show before the show podcast right now. Watch the stars of tomorrow today on MILB-TV. Before they made it to the show, stars like Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, and Chris Bryant were on MILB-TV. Subscribe today to get more than 5,000 minor league games streamed live and on demand, including games from affiliates of all 30 major league clubs. Select all-star and postseason games are also included. On the go? Watch on your iPhone, iPad, or iPod Touch with the free MILB First Pitch app. Visit MILB.TV for details. Headed to the Midwest League for this week's interview on uh, the 69th episode of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. And it is in Fort Wayne 
where we hook up with the manager of the Fort Wayne Tin Caps, a Class A affiliate of the San Diego Padres, Anthony Contreras. Anthony, welcome to the show. How are you? Pretty good. Just got off the field for BP. Uh, now in the air conditioning, so I feel good now. I was going to say, how <laughs> bad is it right now? I mean, I feel like everywhere. I just saw a tweet from a, a California League game. There's going to be a game time temperature at some point over the weekend uh, at around 111 in Bakersfield, I believe. What's what's the summer been like for you guys so far? Um, it started off really cold. Now it's uh, it's really hot and muggy. Um, I think we just got off the the road trip from Wisconsin and Beloit, and those are probably the hottest that we felt um, humid and everything like that. Today's not that bad. We're sitting probably low 90s, um, but still warm out there. It's a mid. It's a Midwest summer. Start. You start cold. You get hot. There's virtually nothing in between. And uh, and there we Pretty have much. the Midwest League uh, for uh, for every summer. But uh, the 2016 summer for you guys has been um, in in the Padres organization. The last couple of years obviously have come with a lot of change. But there's a lot of excitement right now surrounding your team and the affiliates up and down the ladder and the Padres organization. And we wanted to get things started talking about the biggest splash move made over the last couple of weeks, uh, which affected your roster, and that was the acquisition of Anderson Espinosa from the Boston Red Sox system and since coming over uh to your club obviously there's going to be a ton of change that uh that happens in a trade for any player but to see somebody like an 18 year old kid um come over jump in make a couple of starts already how have you found his transition so far and his first couple of turns through in the in a new organization very very uh very good so far you know 18 years old like that getting traded uh for the first time in your career uh, coming to a team that you haven't uh, been with before you would think the kid would be uh, a little shy and everything he kind of warmed up to everybody um, I think what helped him is uh, Logan Allen was a teammate of his in the Red Sox organization so it was kind of uh, comforting for him to, to come into the clubhouse and see a familiar face um, he's adjusted nicely you can tell he's already interacting with the guys uh, like it's his home um, I've had some good talks with him very quiet kid uh, things come really natural and easy to him so it hasn't been a hard transition and uh, so far so good and with, you know, like Tyler said, he has had a couple of starts with you guys so far, um, a little bit of mixed results. But what was your first impression when you first actually got to see him pitch on a mound? Um, easy. Uh, pretty much sums it up right there. You know, uh, not much effort in that, in those throwing mechanics. And that ball jumps out of his hand. You can get it sit anywhere in the mid-90s. You can get up there to 98. I've heard uh, – Story that he's easily touched 100 a few times, um, and I can see where that would come from. He definitely has it in there, uh, featuring a good changeup, and I think the changeup right now sits a little bit above his uh, his breaking ball, but he's young and definitely still working on it. Um, but, yeah, the confidence he has as an 18-year-old is impressive and just how easy it is on the mound for him to, to get that miles per hour up there and, and to be confident in, in what he's doing is impressive. To go back to what it's like to get a, a, a young kid like this on a new team, in a new organization, whole new way maybe of doing things. Um, what What is it like as a coach, as a manager, when you have this new face, especially a young one like Espinoza? You know, you mentioned Logan Allen was the guy who, who kind of helped him, but what do you have to do to help make a guy like that feel welcome, you know, after he's been traded away from an organization in a major league deal like that? Um, I sat down with him when he first joined the team and just uh, explained how, how we do things here, uh, kind of what the Padres' culture is and everything like that. Um, but it wasn't a big transition and, uh, as for like the, the things he would be doing. Um, he probably had to learn a new kind of workout routine because we probably do it a little bit different than the Red Sox. Um, but the, the signage, the way uh, we call pitches and everything like that might have changed. 
Um, but that doesn't take long. If you're a baseball player, you're a baseball player, and you jump into an organization, some stuff is still going to be the same. Um, I think it's just getting used to a new group of faces, uh, a new staff, and getting uh, to know how we work on a daily basis is probably the hardest thing. But he's been with us now, made two starts, and uh, everything right now is going good. And just to pivot to another guy you guys got in a trade, uh, Chris Paddock, you know, coming over in the San Diego deal. I know, you know, it was just announced recently he's now on the DL with an elbow and forearm strain. Um, but for any Padres fans listening, you know, I haven't gotten the chance to see him. He's only a, a Class A guy. Uh, just looking at his numbers, you know, 71 strikeouts, five walks in between two teams and 42 and one-thirds innings. Um, what, what about him is before the injury, you know, enabled him to have that level of success, specifically with just control. You know, what have you seen out of him when he w- was able to make those six, uh, those three starts with you guys before the injury? Uh, consistency. Um, I think all around his professionalism and how he prepares for each start, uh, what he does the days before he starts. Um, he's a different cat. When we're in here uh, talking about a scouting report on how we're going to pitch a team, he knows exactly what he wants to do. Um, he knows his strengths. He knows what works for him. Um, and you can tell he gets out there and uh, pounds the strike zone. He can he can work on both sides of the plate. Uh, that changeup that he has um, is one, if not the best, I've seen in this league uh, with a good feel for a, for a breaking pitch. Um, and you see it. He has the competitiveness in him. He's out there uh, doing things a little bit different than some of the other guys. Just uh, He has an idea how and what he wants to do, and he um, executes it when – when he's called on and that's all you can ask from a guy. And when you're saying he does things a little differently than other guys, what, what is different? Is it just preparation? What, what it specifically sticks out in terms of differences? I think the way he, uh, he scouts hitters, you know, we have our pitchers in the stands, uh, charting and, and doing the radar gun and everything like that. Um, he comes in with a detailed report every scout, uh, every day that he pitches on how he wants to attack a hitter. Um, other other pitchers have that idea as well, but he can take his strengths and, and put those into his scouting report and knows exactly what he wants to do, and then he gets out there and he executes it. Um, and that's what makes a big leaguer. That's what makes uh, a person successful in professional baseball. Um, and at 20 years old, you know, to have that down already at this level in his first full season is uh, extremely rare, um, and it's impressive at the same time. And uh, it's unfortunate that he, that he got hurt, but – um, I think once he's healthy, you're going to see some good things from that kid. We're going kind of pitcher heavy early on in the in this conversation because another guy we wanted to learn about was Jacob Nix. And uh, Jacob Nix's story is something that maybe some people have forgotten about. But back in 2014, he was a fifth-round pick of the Astros, agreed to a bonus offer from them. And then when Houston's deal with the that season's number one overall pick, Brady Aiken, fell through, the Astros were no longer able to afford what they had agreed to with Nix. So he went back to school for a year to the IMG Academy and comes out and b- gets bumped up a couple of rounds and goes to the Padres in the third round of 2015. This year, getting into full season ball um you know he's had some ups and downs but it seems like start to start wire to wire so far through 19 outings uh, again you mentioned consistency a minute ago it seems like that would somewhat apply to him too being in the rotation for 19 times through um what have you seen from Jacob Nix what's enabled his success you know in the stretches where he has been pretty good this year yeah Nixie um has been one of the most consistent on the year um just kind of like Paddock uh, he knows what he can do. Um, very, very easy motion, easy arm action like that. Uh, the ball comes out really easily. And, and he's a confident kid. You know, he has a little bit of uh, cockiness to him. I think in this game you kind of need 
and he shows that at a young age. Um, he gets out there and knows what he can do. Um, Nixie is really diligent on, on his preparation as well. You know, he knows what works for him. He's out, he's in there getting treatment done, making sure that his body's uh, in working shape so that he can be consistent on the mound every single day that uh, we call on him. Um, like I said, I think the most impressive thing, especially with this young pitching staff that we have, um, is the way they go about their business. Sometimes it takes a, a minor league kid a few years, uh, sometimes even longer than that, to figure out what makes them click uh, on a daily basis. Um, and these kids, all of them, Mixie, Paddock, Espinosa, Logan Allen, um, Austin Smith, these guys uh, are a different breed. You can see why they're picked high, why they're highly regarded. Um, and they stand out, and that's the reason why. You know, they do things a little bit different. Um, they prepare different. They're, they're professional at a young age, um, and it's exciting for us in the Padres uh, to see what's going to come when they get a little bit older and more mature. Anthony, with a guy like that, um, and with so many of the guys like that on this staff, how much do you think you mentioned? You know, some of the cockiness, the confidence that comes along with being able to be a good pitcher at that level. Uh, you know, it's almost similar in a lot of ways to just sort of the way kids learn social skills when they're in school as as young kids. When you're, you know, at the low levels of the minor leagues, you're still kind of trying to figure out the the world that you inhabit in your place and how to operate in it. How much of a benefit? are attitudes like that, that that confidence and borderline cogginess to spread throughout a, a not only a, an organization or a, a one side of a team like a pitching staff, but how much does that breed throughout the clubhouse when there is sort of that consistency of purpose and, uh, and attitude that way? Oh, it goes a long way. You know, these guys, uh, you need that, that confidence, you need that cockiness to get you through the tough times because you know you have it. You know you have uh, what it takes. Um, and these guys have definitely been humbled. As good as they are, they've definitely come out there and maybe not pitched their best. Um, and that's a good thing for them at this level because it shows them they still need to work and they still have not made it to exactly where they want to go. Um, but on the other hand, they get out there and they still know they're good pitchers. They know they're, uh, they're prospects for a reason. Um, and a good thing about having them all together is they, they challenge each other uh, you, you see guys competing against each other. They want to one up the next guy. They, they live together. So there's a little trash talk going around all the time, uh, things like that. But that's a good thing because uh, that's what you want in a clubhouse. That's what you want on a team is for each guy on the team to push the next one. Um, and with a group of pitchers like this, uh, it's almost kind of guaranteed uh, when you have this many talents. And uh, I just want to get one in about, you know, your catcher, Austin Allen. Uh, he was a guy who grabbed a lot of headlines at the beginning of the year. You know, was hitting 460 through April. Um, seems to have tailed off a little bit, but uh, has been, you know, a little bit better in June and okay in July. Uh, what was it like seeing him go through that first month? And what has it been like for him since, you know, when you do have that first taste of really hot success, uh, you know, in your first month of the first full season and then, you know, trying to build back up to that, you know, after that, what have you seen out of him um, since that first month? Um, you know, I had Austin last year and it wasn't the, the greatest of uh, your first professional start, but um, I think it, it opened his eyes on what he needed to do. Uh, he was a guy in the off season, lost weight, um, was working out with some big leaders uh, all through the off season uh, and kind of showed what he needed to do going into this year. And it, and it paid off. We, we saw it in spring training. He had a different bounce in his step. Um, and then he comes out in the first uh, first month of the season, and, and he was on fire. Um, but as we all know, like with baseball, it, that doesn't last forever. And I think that's the biggest thing for him um, is being able to to handle the ups and downs of a, of a full season. Um, Austin's a, 
a really talented hitter. He's a, he's a talented athlete. Um, it's just being able to to adjust to pitching. You know, these guys know that he's a good hitter, and they're going to pitch him different than they pitch him in April. And I think that's the thing that he's learning um, is how to adjust day to day, how to get his body ready uh, for a full season, and what makes him click. Um, doing that as well as managing a pitching staff that we have, um, it's a lot to ask for a for a young man. But he's done a good job this year. You know, he did tail off, but he definitely he's up there every single day working on his swing. Um, he looks just as good as he did in the first half. I think um, the trick for him is just being able to to compete with these pitchers that have seen him multiple times now and have adjusted to his hitting style. And now it's his job to, to combat that and, and prove that he can adjust with them. He is Anthony Contreras, the manager of the Class A Fort Wayne Tin Caps of the Midwest League, the Class A affiliate of the San Diego Padres. A lot of exciting pieces on that team that have already gone through and are on the way and are there right now. So keep an eye on the Tin Caps and on that Padres organization, which is kind of being reshaped and being rebuilt into a really, really exciting farm system right now. And, uh, Anthony, we can't thank you enough for the time. Really appreciate it, especially on a game day, taking on West Michigan tonight and through Friday and then Lansing in town over the weekend. And uh, best of luck the rest of the way, Anthony. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it as well. Another road trip is on the docket for Benjamin Hill, our guru, uh, all about things minor league baseball business and more. Ben is back for this week's edition of the show, but set to hit the road here coming up in just the next few days. Hi, Ben. Hey, Tyler. Hey, Sam. Hello. Welcome back. But not for long. It's I was like, going to say, yeah, he's been here the last, what, three weeks? Yeah, well, welcome for back me. to the show. Welcome for me, back. it's, like when, it's oh. like when people go away from breaks. Yeah, welcome back to the show. Okay. Yeah. It's right. like, you know, when a TV coverage goes away for a break and then they say welcome back. Because I don't ever get to see you guys, so this is my only contact. So I have to say welcome back, like we were just on an extended commercial. <laughs> That's true. One of those things. Uh, ben is off on the road. Coming up August 1st, day one back on the road. And this is a lengthy one through California, Nevada, Idaho, Washington, a big Western swing. Uh, ben, tell us all about it. Starting things off with the Sacramento River Cats on August 1st. Yeah, you know, the the first two trips of the season I did, you know, were pretty easy to kind of give a name to. The first, I was just in North and South Carolina, so it was the Carolinas trip. The second trip, I did every team in the Appalachian League, so it was the Appy League trip. This trip is just kind of the... Uh, hitting the West Coast again and making sure to visit all the locations I've missed before trip. Um, not a very catchy name. Um, but last year, the 2015 season, I wasn't able to travel uh, west of Omaha, or I just didn't make any itineraries that brought me west of Omaha. So in making itineraries this year, I really wanted to make sure I got a West Coast swing, and I started thinking specifically to get things going in my mind of Sacramento and San Jose, two teams I've never visited that I've missed in the past. So that's really uh, the desire to visit them is what started this road trip. And then in working Sacramento and San Jose into a coherent itinerary, I ended up adding three more teams to the agenda that I visited just three years ago, which is not that long ago in road trip time. But uh, Stockton, Modesto, and Visalia are also going to be part of that uh, initial swing over the first five days of the trip. And then things kind of get a little goofy going from Visalia to Vegas, the Las Vegas 51s. I've been to Vegas before, but never uh, visited Cashman Field, home of the uh, Las Vegas 51s. Who, as of the recording of this podcast today, are 51 and 51 on the season. I read that. We are speaking Your here things. on uh, Wednesday afternoon, and the Las Vegas 51s are 51 and 51. Stay woke, people. Yeah. <laughs> what does it all mean? 
Yeah, who anyway. who who re-knows what it means, but Reno is the next <laughs> stop on my trip after Vegas. Um, I did visit Reno as well back in 2013, but it was an, I got an ultra-rare rain out there. So I was able to get a tour of the ballpark. Um, they played a game for a couple innings, but I didn't get the full experience. And since I was going to be in Vegas and wanted to work my way north anyway, um, I'm hitting Reno. And then after an off day, which means driving day, there's some long drives in this part of the country. Um, I'm going to hit the three Northwest League teams I've yet to visit and uh, finally complete that circuit in my travels. And that's Boise on August 10th, the Tri-City Dust Devils on August 11th, and the Spokane Indians on August 12th. So uh, to make a long story short, it is a sprawling, um, not quite coherent trip, but um, visiting one, two, three, four, five, Six teams I've never been to before and uh, four more that I'm happy to revisit again. And one thing that just kind of sticks out to me on a trip like this, like you're coming off a trip with the Yappy League where everybody's comparable. You know, everybody's in the same league, same level. You're going from Reno one night to Boise the next night, which is, a, you know, Pacific Coast League to Northwest League, AAA to Class A short season. How do you kind of keep that all compartmentalized and keep yourself from comparing apples to oranges in these kind of parks? Yeah, I kind of like that about trips like this is that you have your experience one day and then have a completely different experience the next day. It was great on my last trip trip doing the Appalachian League and being able to compare everything in a league context. But I kind of like being in Visalia, one of the smallest ballparks, certainly in a full season league uh, and one of the oldest and a very charming environment. But going from that on one day to Las Vegas the next. It is very much an apples and oranges kind of thing, going from Class A advance to AAA. And then another AAA team in Reno, and following that up with a Northwest League team, you know, Class A short season team. Um, so in terms of how I keep it compartmentalized, I just sounds like the ultimate cliche, but it's one day at a time. You have your day, you have your travel, you have your hotel, you have your ballpark, and that's what the experience was. And then the next day it might be something completely different, and you just roll with it. And that's what I try to do. I just try to roll with it. This is how packed Ben's seasons are. Ben's heading out on the road in five days, but is still wrapping up things from his last trip. And there's a really cool story that's up on the site right now from the Appalachian League and the home of the Burlington Royals. And uh, Burlington's Athletic Stadium, Burlington Athletic Stadium, did not begin its baseball life in Burlington. And this is one of those weird, quirky minor league baseball stories, but uh, you can read it, the full thing on the site. But Ben, give us a, a little bit of the background on this. Yeah, this is the kind of thing that I wish I'd been able to track down when I was in Burlington, North Carolina, you know, a local historian, or I wish I'd been able to find someone at the ballpark who really knew the the nuts and bolts, so to speak, of this story. But yeah, this is the type of story, and uh, I'm telling the story as car horns beep outside to signify, like, get going, get going, tell the story. <laughs> um, the Burlington Royals play in uh, Burlington Athletic Stadium, and uh, they have ever since they began play as an Appalachian League affiliate in uh, 1986, and the stadium has been there for much longer. But the stadium was not built in Burlington, North Carolina. This ballpark was originally called League Park, and it existed 40 miles to the north in Danville. And um, the most recent team that played at League Park in Danville was the Danville Leafs, a Carolina League entity. That team folded after the 1958 season. A group of businessmen from Burlington bought the ballpark in Danville had it disassembled, shipped via train uh, to Burlington, and then reassembled there. And that's the ballpark that's still being used today. Um, 
you know, some 55, 57 years later, obviously a lot of improvements have been made. They've, you know, replaced almost all the seating, made some additions, but the core of that facility, um, you know, the steel structure and the roof uh, overhanging it, um, go back to Danville in a completely different era of baseball and a park that was literally tore down and then shipped and uh, put back up. And you, that's one of those things you never see that today. And does that kind of get reflected in the park itself? Like, how did you come to know about this? Was it just like a thing that you heard, you know, at the stadium or something they pointed out to you? I remember being in Burlington five years ago and hearing that and just not really having the time to explore it. And then when five years later I was able to visit this year, um, it was kind of in the back of my mind. And a few people on Twitter said, hey, you know, if you don't know this, you should. And I went to the ballpark with it on my mind as a story idea. And while I wasn't able to get too much real specific information, I got enough quotes and surrounding uh, anecdotes and evidence. And uh, I just wanted to write something about this because, you know, there's 159 ballparks in minor league baseball. And I'm almost positive this is the only one that was built in a different state and shipped elsewhere. There's some really cool kind of additional history to this story, including the uh, the story behind the Carolina League's first African-American ball player, um, Percy Miller, who played in 19 games for the Danville Leafs, and, and some more stuff that goes into this really cool story, and it's up on the site right now. And uh, speaking of the Carolina League, that brings us to uh, our final topic of the week with Ben, which is something that, man, we all whiffed on last week. We talked about the Lynchburg Hillcats, who were one of a handful of teams this season to be holding a Name the Team contest for 2017. And uh, the contenders for that Name the Team contest were the Lynchburg Hillcats, the Lynchburg... Did we ever figure out a pronunciation for this? Derrichos? Derrichos? It's a Spanish origin, so Spanish I'm sure it's more derechos? like a... Derechos? Derechos? You probably derechos. roll that R a little bit in yeah. derechos. derechos. I, I am not Spanish. Um, Which is a reference to storms of some kind uh, that blow in over the, the seven hills around um, Lynchburg, as it was explained to us in the in the description of these teams. Uh, the Doves, the Lamb Chops, in reference to the, the religious history surrounding uh, Lynchburg. The Love Apples... In reference to uh, tomatoes, and uh, that was a whole story too, and the River Runners. But after all the votes were tallied, over 3,000 votes cast for the name of the Lynchburg Hillcats in 2017, and the name is the Lynchburg Hillcats, which none of us none of us thought was going to happen. This is uh, this is kind of rare, but I um, I guess when you you put all those names together, it's a, a very traditional Carolina League market. They've been a member of the Carolina League for 51 straight seasons. I don't think people were going to go away from that history via a public opinion poll. It's just we, you know, like the Brexit, uh, the public vote not actually binding. But in most cases, I think uh, teams, you know, just kind of if they actually use one of these and they still want to rebrand, they just kind of go with the rebrand anyway. But Lynchburg's not going that route. They're going to stick with it. No, it's surprising. And this is the first time I've seen this before. And uh, we were all proven wrong last week. We were like, well, of course, they're going to rebrand. They're going to uh, to all the trouble. It's a new ownership group and uh, a, lot, a lot of new faces in the front office. And they're going to all this trouble to uh, announce a rebranding contest. And uh, of course they are. And, and that's the way that rebranding contests go. You announce all the names. Um, the fans are outraged. They think it's an embarrassment. They say, you know, fire your marketing director. Um, you know, worst thing ever. What's wrong with the original name? And they get very indignant. And and I'm not saying 
for good reason often, and sometimes these names are ridiculous, but then the formula is you pick one of the ridiculous names, but the logo looks good, and the way you brand it within the ballpark looks good, and all of, all of a sudden these names that were hated, like Richmond Flying Squirrels, like Akron Rubber Ducks, like Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, like uh, Pensacola Blue Wahoos, all of these quote-unquote embarrassments then become actually uh, El Paso Chihuahuas, become you know very popular in the community. I was expecting that to play out in Lynchburg, but Lynchburg actually did honor the popular vote, it seems like, and uh, said, hey, the fans want the Hillcats name to stay, and that's what we're going to do. And uh, we haven't seen that particular narrative uh, play out in minor league baseball, particularly over the last five years. But there's still a chance that they might have some sort of new identity as the Hillcats, right? Like a new logo or new colors or something like that. It's not just going to completely be back to the whole the same old, same old, you know, come opening day next year, right? I would think there'd be some changes in uh, GM Chris Jones, you know, who came from the Lake Elsinore Storm, um, you know, a, a team known for doing its own kind of irreverent branding and promotions. Um, he's bringing that sensibility to Lynchburg. Um, so he said, you know, we're going to look into freshening up the logo and, uh, you know, maybe changing the branding a little, but the Hillcats name will apparently remain the same. And, uh, the winner of the Lynchburg Hillcats name the team contest was Hillcats. So um, was it even a contest then? So it's, just the, it's just the status quo. It's the status quo contest results. The first big win of the summer for the Remain campaign. Ah, there it is. That's yeah. right. Got a lot of good international political humor on this Remain podcast. Remain needed a win. Remain needed a win. They were over one. It was a big yeah. one. They were over one. So who is, uh, who is still remaining then in name the team um, voting? New Orleans, Binghamton. Which uh, both of those clubs, the the Zephyrs, a traditional name that dates back for a while with that franchise, the Binghamton Mets, obviously a parent club name, um, some very intriguing and, again, slightly odd and controversial name possibilities in those. Neither of those teams, by the way, uh, has their current name as an option, so they will not be something similar next year. But those are the ones we're really keeping an eye on now. That's right, and Staten Island as well. But and Staten, Staten Island, Island, that's the but other Staten one. Staten Island is not... Um announced the finalists yet so that's another thing to keep an eye on so that's all uh it was a big surprise to us big surprise the hillcats are gonna stick it out as the hillcats and good for lynchburg it's uh, a really cool market if you ever get a chance to check out calvin falwell field uh lynchburg city stadium a cool spot maybe a new look for the hillcats next year but not a new name benjamin hills on twitter he is at ben's biz on twitter and you can check out the blog which is bensbiz.mlblogs.com ben uh i believe are you still in need of designated eaters um, at a few of these spots, okay. yeah. Okay, so um, you can get in touch with Ben because there are some open designated eater um, assignments. And, by the way, you now get a sweet retro band brand designated eater T-shirt if you are so chosen for uh, for one of these tasks at a, a game coming up on the swing through the western half of the United States. So that's yeah. all the more reason. All the more reason, and um, so much more to come on the blog with designated eaters, not just from this upcoming trip, but uh, a lot of uh, playing catch-up on the Appy League stuff, so lots more food stuff to come, lots more everything to come, uh, another road trip for me to come, and uh, in the meantime, I got to move. I got to move. Oh, man. It's Wednesday. I'm moving on Friday, and I'm leaving on this trip on Sunday, so I'm very stressed oh, out. Oh, man. Right? But I will just leave now. Go. Go start. <laughs> go pack. Well, yeah, I know, but I'm trying to. I got a feature that runs Friday and another one that runs Tuesday that I want to complete before the road. Had to get something up on the blog yesterday because I felt I've been neglect neglecting that. Uh, still need to pack, still need to move. It's uh, hard keeping my head straight, but you know what? This too shall pass. I'm looking forward to having a new place. Everything works out. I'm looking forward to going on the road. Everything's cool. 
You can be a designated eater. You can also help Ben move if you contact him <laughs> at Ben's Biz on Twitter. I'm sure. I actually got an email to this afternoon from a reader who offered to help me move. And it was, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it was legit. It was saying, "That's you know, outstanding." I need to be Triton that night, but I have a pickup. He said he was a pastor. What? That's awesome. He was like, career is like you know based on helping people, and he read in my blog. I just offhandedly mentioned I'm moving, and um. Our fans are the coolest, man. I tell you what, it warms my heart. I don't think I need the help. I'm going professional for the first time. Oh, wow. First time I've ever done the professional route, but I've got so much to deal with. Smart. Uh, And, you know, unlimited money being a minor league baseball writer. So (laughs) here we go. Godspeed, Ben. We'll talk to you next week. Enjoy uh, Enjoy the start of the trip. I will. Putting the finishing touches on a nice episode of the show before the show podcast. Anthony Contreras from the Fort Wayne Tin Caps. A big thanks to the pilot of that ship. Big thanks to Anthony for joining us and also Benjamin Hill. You can follow on Twitter at Ben's Biz. And Ben is going to be uh, obviously an insane weekend for Ben coming up with the move and then the trip starting on Monday. So, again, all of the best of luck to Ben making it through uh, a hellish weekend in our <laughs> in, in our modern times. Um, MILB.TV is your home for all the best in minor league baseball. Sam, who you got? Yeah, so th- this weekend, uh, the Columbus Clippers are traveling to, to Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte's always a fun place just to watch a game because it's, you know, whether you're there or on TV, just because it is so hitter-friendly, um, and you get to see some really good minor league bats there. So no matter what, it's always fun to watch Charlotte because there's a, always the chance that you could – see like five homers go out of the park in one given afternoon but it's even more interesting this weekend because uh the columbus clippers are traveling there and uh as we know bradley zimmer clint frazier the top two prospects in the indian system you could probably pull a bunch of people and see who is actually the top prospect you might get a decent amount to say zimmer a decent amount to say frazier anyways they're both up together now with the clippers uh they will be taking their hacks this weekend in charlotte um, both have some legit power potential. I mean, they're not 40 homer guys, but they could be between 20 and 30 homer guys. And uh, playing in a park like that, I wouldn't be surprised if either one of them homers or both of them homers this weekend. So you get to see them tested at their the new level. They were only promoted this week. Um, so yeah, if you're if you're an Indians fan, you know the Indians need outfield help. It's been rumored that maybe they'll look to either one of Frazier or Zimmer to go get that help instead of in a trade. Uh, now is your chance to watch them, see if they are actually major league ready or not. And uh, yeah, so the, that should be a fun one to watch this weekend. What about for you, Tyler? And probably a good time to point out, it's all subject to change this time of year. Not saying anything, but obviously yes. with those promotions, there was a lot of discussion. What does this mean? Or are these guys being showcased? Are they on the block? So all of this subject to change as we approach the non-waiver trade deadline on August 1st in major league baseball. Um, I am going to, uh, Uh, In the Pacific Coast League, I'm going to flip to the other side of AAA. The Fresno Grizzlies have once more received the Astros' number two-ranked prospect, uh, A.J. Reed, back from the Major League Club. And A.J. Reed so far has just been crushing the baseball back up at the the AAA level, the highest level of the minor leagues. Obviously, saw some time up in Houston, um, did not really catch fire. The Astros were uh, wanting to get him some more regular work, so he was sent back to AAA. And in his first two starts, Back in AAA, 
five for nine, two doubles, a homer, three runs batted in. A.J. Reed, we know uh, what he's capable of at that level. But, you know, last year, um, crushed the baseball, did not see action in AAA. This year just rocketed through AAA and made it to the big leagues toward the end of June. So he's still a young prospect. I mean, this is still a guy who, um, you know, this would have been his first full season if not for the promotion at the AAA level. So there's a lot more that he can still get accomplished and still get some regular work in uh, at first base and at the, the designated hitter position. So the Fresno Grizzlies will be taking on actually kind of a strange weekend for them. They'll be hosting the Las Vegas 51s through Friday and then on the road at Reno starting Saturday. So it's a little Nevada tour for Fresno. They're getting in and out of town before Ben gets there, I guess. And uh, so keep an eye on, on the Fresno Grizzlies and A.J. Reed. I, w- I would love to hear that some minor league team plans around Ben. Ben's going to be in Nevada, so we got to get that trip wrapped up by, you know, like the first couple of days of August. <laughs> If we can get a team to comment on that on the record, that would that would make I think our weeks and Ben's like month. So any team listening right now, please please reach Let out. Let us know. Yeah, us with know. that info. Tweet all of your best travel wishes to Benjamin Hill, who is on the road starting in Sacramento on August 1st. We'll have two weeks with Ben on the road and on the show, and he'll wrap things up in Spokane on August 12th. By the way, the the weird pronunciation for this trip. Um, since we all learned that it was Appalachian League, this is something that I've learned from travel in the past. It's Boise with like a hard S, not Boise like it's a Z. And the people in Boise uh, can tell if you know it by the way you say it, and they are very adamant that you call it Boise. So now all of you know that it's the Boise Hawks who will be taking on the Hillsborough Hops that night on August 10th. It sounds like a Louisville thing. Dun, 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 dun. The more you that? know. The more you oh, know. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm now picturing the shooting star across my NBC channel on my TV. I was, I was like, what? What is that? Some Boise. Like, what is that random sound that effect I, you yeah. just did? Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in uh, to the 69th edition of the show before the show podcast. Again, you can find us on iTunes. You can now find us on the Stitcher app as well. So if you uh, if you get your podcast through Stitcher, we are all set up there. And uh, thanks for tuning in. A nice week here on the show before the show. And we will talk to you for episode number 70 with Benjamin Hill on the road and more to come after the trade deadline coming up next week. We'll talk to you then. Nice. 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 Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.